Thank you, God. You're so good. I'm going to tell you something that there is something about gathering together where God is. Wasn't God everywhere? In one sense, he is. But in another sense, when we come together, according to Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, I'm there. There is something about the manifest presence. I want you to know as a church, maybe it's your first time here, we value more than anything else, we value the presence of God. We don't value a sermon. We don't value a solo. We value the presence of God. And we know that the most important thing for you is to meet with God more than anything else. As a matter of fact, the purpose of the church primarily is to be a dwelling place for God's presence. Wasn't well, aren't we supposed to evangelize? The Great Commission. Matthew chapter twenty eight, verse eighteen. The Great Commission is not the priority of the church. I knew it'd be real quiet and I wouldn't get any amens right there. The Great Commission is not to equip the saints. Well, doesn't it say in Ephesians chapter 4? Equip the saints? The priority of the church, according to what Paul said, and if you read in, in the New Testament, Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 said that we are a dwelling place for God and the Spirit. See, before the church exploded on the day of Pentecost, they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. Come on. He's, he's tabernacling among. There's something about the encounter we have with God where all of those other wonderful things that we need, discipleship, equipping, hello, evangelism. I believe in evangelism, but if we don't know the person that we're trying to tell everybody about, how can we evangelize? I can encounter a good sermon and a good song and entertainment, and I can be motivated, but until I get a revelation of somebody that created everything, it's hard for me to really evangelize the way that I'm supposed to as a Christian. I think sometimes even ministry itself, ministry, I'm talking about any ministry, the, the platform or the understanding that like God's called me to do something. Sometimes I just wonder how much of it is in the motivation of our hearts. Like we just want to be important or look anointed rather than actually have a heart for people or actually have God's heart for the ministry. I mean, I just wonder sometimes, and without the presence of God, without encountering Him, the name of our church is the Encounter Community Church. Why? Because we believe the primary purpose of the church is to be dwelling. The church is a place to meet with God. You're a people of God. The church is in the building. You're the church. The called out ones. We're elect. We're chosen in Christ. By the, word, by the way, the word elect is not individual. Jesus is the elect one, and you're in him. And everyone's included in that. And when they believe it by faith, they're born again. Elect is not God sitting in eternity past and, and looking and looking at all these people and saying, I think I'll choose him. I like him. I think I'll choose her. I don't like him. I'm going to predestine him to hell. That's not election. And there's a lot of people that believe that, by the way. It's unbiblical. So if we understand the heart of God for something and we take on his heart, we take on his desires and his thoughts and the way he feels about something in ministry, whatever it is, like I'm called to be a missionary. I wonder sometimes if our 
Our desire for ministry is just another way to pat ourselves on the back. It's called religion. I mean, I'm just, just throwing this out there. I was just thinking about some things. I thought I'd share it with you guys. hope that's okay. Sometimes I wonder. I, the, the subject or the, the understanding of the love of God can never be exhausted. But the purpose of the church being a place to meet with God, encounter Him... Lord, reveal your love a little bit more. You know, I, I just let me go deeper. Your love is, if grace was an ocean, I'm sinking. I love that song. And by the way, don't change the lyrics of that song. Worship leaders, heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. So gay. 40 years ago, that'd be like happy, but now it's like, it's not good. Okay. It's just like cheesy, right? Unforeseen kiss. No, it's a sloppy, wet kiss. It's for married couples only. Don't be doing them sloppy, wet ones until the veil is lifted. Glory to God. Cause you're going to get in trouble. But I kiss my wife with a sloppy, wet kiss. Cause I love my bride. God loves people. And it's a mess sometimes. But it's all about love. And it's all about people. It's not about somebody's ministry or platform. And if our desire is to, to be some voice, it's, we're probably an echo because we're hungering for power and position instead of people. So when I understand who he is, I take on his heart. And when I take on his heart for people, I'm never the same. I see people with his eyes. The heart and the eyes are always connected throughout the scripture. The heart is the center of, of your being. And when you see things differently, something has happened in your heart. I just wonder sometimes if our desire to be somebody comes from not knowing somebody. Because when I don't know who he is, I don't know who I am. I don't, I don't need to... I, I, listen, David said this. Talking about the value for the presence of God and just meeting with Him. I don't need to preach today. I don't need to lead worship today. I just want to be in the same room that He is. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than anywhere else in the tents of wickedness. A doorkeeper jealously guards the most valuable thing, which is the presence of Almighty God. Jesus, Father, you're here. Holy Spirit, I value you more than anything else. I mean, is there anything else better than that? Than meeting with God. One encounter with God. St. Teresa of Avila said, one Moment in the ecstasy of God's presence is better than years of exhaustive intellectual knowledge. Just a moment, like right now, just one moment with God. I've seen people go from brokenness to totally whole, physically, emotionally. I've seen, you know, drug addictions just crumble the chains of depression just fall off of people people get new identities just with one encounter with god but it doesn't stop there he's calling you to go deeper if grace is an ocean 
Not only am I sinking, but I want to go scuba diving. And I can breathe in this ocean because it's oxygenized. It's like ambionic fluid, heavenly water. Come on. It's the river that flows from the temple in Ezekiel chapter 47, Revelation 22, the river that flows, that everything it touches comes alive. So if you're dead, get in the river. And the river is him, Jesus, the presence of God. There's nothing better. I don't want entertainment. I don't want church. I like nice things. Listen, we're going to get into a new building. We're going to grow. God is good. But I love people, and I want to see people walk in their destiny, and they can't unless they encounter God. I want to see people walk in their ministry, and guess what? you got to get rid of the bad motivations that you have for ministry. It's not about a platform. It's about people. And I want to, I want to get more of God's heart for what I'm called to do which is to raise up an army. I want to get more of God's heart for my city. I see Las Vegas and I don't see Sin City. I don't see a bunch of drug dealers and prostitutes. I do see them, yes, but I I see a people. I see sons and daughters, mothers, fathers. I see a bunch of families that are broken. Yes, they're doing wicked things, but I don't see wicked people. I see people that are forgiven I see people that are so loved by God and they just need somebody to share it with them. So as we encounter who God is, sharing the love of God is easy. Hello? You don't need to teach on evangelism if you know God. Let me teach you Romans Road. How about... Jesus loves you. Karl Barth, known as one of the greatest theologians of our time. Pros and cons to who he was, but brilliant German theologian. I mean, everyone was like, Karl Barth. I mean, this guy has amazing revelation about Jesus and the incarnation. And They say at the end of his life, Karl, what is it all about? What have you learned all these years? The Bible, the counsel of God. What is this revelation? He says, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And we make it about all kinds of other things. What is the secret mystical knowledge and revelations to unlock the keys to the kingdom? Let me tell you what it is. The king. You want the keys to the kingdom? Just get to know the king. I want to bear fruit in my ministry. Be intimate. With God. No, God. You want to reign in life? Sit down at his table and be intimate with him. Because it comes from a place of rest, not striving. This morning, um, I want to, just for a few more moments, I want to share with you about what I believe is the most important thing. What I believe is, is something that sometimes we just skip right over. And uh, as a church, as a people, as a body, the body of Christ as a whole. By the way, the body of Christ is alive and well on planet Earth. The universal church, the holy Catholic church, that word is universal. I'm not talking about a specific group of the church. But it's larger. The church is larger than any other entity or government on the planet right now. 
And the born-again rate is four times the birth rate. I see a glorious future for the church. Because I believe that when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, he meant it. And I believe him over people's theology that it's getting worse and worse and worse. I believe what the Bible actually says. And I believe what the church taught for the last 2,000 years. That all the stuff that we use to scare people about the future was fulfilled in 70 A.D. Jesus is coming back to a glorious church. Is Jesus returning? Yeah, glorious church. And the church is glorious. But as we grow, as we become more glorious, a lot of things happen. You know, there's so many different... The charismatic movement hit... Uh, it was a lot of restoration took place in the early 1900s. How many know a little bit about church history as of the last century or so? Powerful things. Azusa Street. People just got hungry. You know, you could schedule a revival, but if you just get hungry, you can be revival. In, in uh, 19 whatever 6 right around there, they just got hungry. A blind black preacher... And William Seymour, he was blind in one eye, saw limbs grow out. It all started in prayer and worship and repentance, turning back to God. And we saw such a wave of revival hit the church, hit the world. I mean, it hit the, the Catholic denomination. It hit Catholicism in 1967. Some hungry college students. I love college-age people. I love all generations, but... There's something about a generation or a people, not based on injury, but a, a group or a heart that says, I want the real deal. So some Catholic students went to a place in Pennsylvania called Holy Spirit Catholic Church. That's a good name for a Catholic church. Come on, somebody. And they said, I want more. There's got to be more. They're reading Acts and they're reading the cross and the switchblade and there's got to be more. And all of a sudden, God came. And they all started singing. And they sang a song that was written in 1901, January 1. I'm sorry, they sang a song that was written in Gregorian chant times in about the 7th century that was sung and declared by the Pope in 1901, January 1. The same day, little Agnes was filled with the Spirit, different work, same meaning though. God was moving in the earth on 1901 in Kansas City. One of the first times we see that restoration of the gift of of tongues back to the church. It never stopped, but we just didn't talk about it as much. But they sang this song called Welcome Holy Spirit that was written in the 7th century. And as they're singing, these cat, they don't know anything about the charismatic gifts. All they know is they're hungry for God. You could schedule a revival, you could talk about it all your life, but until you get hungry for more of God, you're not going to experience anything. And it's not a formula, it's a person. His name is Jesus. You can't get revival by someone else's revelation. You've got to get your own revelation of who he is. You've got to encounter him yourself. You've got to have your own awakening. Hello? And they encounter God. And one of the ladies, read the, or watch the documentary, one of the Catholic girls that God's just pouring out, she says, and this love I never felt before started filling my entire being, this love of a father. Incredible. 
Jesus said, I'm going to send the promise of my father. He's going to make me more plain to you. John chapter 14, verse 21 and 22. He says that literally he's going to make things more simple about in relation to me, to you. Jesus came to reveal the heart of the father. So there's this hunger. The body of Christ is arising up. It's getting, becoming more glorious. But I want to tell you something that I don't believe it's complicated. I don't believe that we need to take some Old Testament principle of how God is going to take the hearts of the fathers and turn to the hearts of the children and all that. You know, Malachi. I, that was fulfilled through John the Baptist. And there's way more in Christ. Hello? I don't need to preach Second Chronicles 7.14 if my people who are called by my name and preach it to America. America doesn't have a covenant with God. America is not a Christian nation. The church needs to rise up out of the idolatrousness of nationalism. Hello? And we need to just become the church. I don't need some mystical, charismatic knowledge about some new revelation of, of how I can really raise the dead. What I need is God's heart for people. What I need is to understand that, yes, I know God loves me. And I know that it's mysterious, but there's more of a revelation of understanding God loves me. It doesn't end with being born again. Being born again means you're a child of God. It means you're born. You're a baby. But sometimes we just stay babies. God loves me. And we just pass it up. We don't realize that we need to become sons. There's two Greek words in the Bible for children and sons. And the Bible talks about we experience both of them spiritually. But sometimes we choose to live experientially in just being children of God and not sons of God. And the only way I can mature to be a son is to mature in my revelation of who the Father is. In the end, it's all about knowing the Father. In the end, it's all about the father maturing a bride and giving him a gift, the gift of a mature bride for his son. In the end, it's all about being a part of this family, the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were woven into 2,000 years ago. God was in Christ recon reconciling the world to himself. See, there's this vain imagination. You know, by the way, vain imaginations is the number one relationship killer. When you think something's wrong and there's nothing wrong, think about it. And that's usually why we don't communicate right, because communication is very important. Living from the heart. We have stuff in our heart against people. We never tell them. We live that way for months, years. We get bitter. We never let it go. We hold on to unforgiveness. That's not God's heart, by the way. Christians should be unoffendable. Out of a Christian's heart should be forgiveness flowing to everybody always because that's God's heart. But vain imaginations come so many times where like we think something's wrong or uh, we think too much. We, we just think too much. We overthink things. It's simple. If we just understood that if I just got to know Father God in his heart, that's what changes me. That's what gives me a heart for the world. That's what makes me want to evangelize. That's what ignites me. It's what makes me alive. When I understand that there's more to the depths of his love, I have not arrived. We don't, listen, I know that you know that Jesus loves me, but guess what? His love is deep. His love is an ocean and you can search through all the ocean, but I'm telling you, you have yet to discover how deep and how wide the love of Jesus is for you. And if you don't know it is for you, how can you know how much he loves the world? 
No wonder we condescend unbelievers. You're a sinner. Well, you were too. Some of y'all still are. Good preaching, Pastor Zach. Come on, somebody. Now you're saints, but you got to live like it. Hello? Make good choices. Rise up. Grace empowers obedience. Grace never gives you a license to sin and do whatever you want to do. In the Old Testament, it's enforced obedience. The New Testament, it's empowered obedience. That's what we live in. We get all the benefits, all the blessings. Come on. In Christ, we have it. Every spiritual blessing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Every spiritual blessing we have already received and been blessed with in Christ Jesus. But you read... I know I said open the Bible. You know what? Just read John chapter 14. Read Romans chapter 8 later on. And, uh, and just let the Holy Spirit reveal to you stuff. I just want to share my heart with you that so many times we get stuck in, in these, these secrets that are Gnostic. If you study church history, I'm not going to explain what Gnosticism is, but they're just, it's like this secret knowledge about God. Listen, the mystery was already revealed in Christ. He came and revealed to us who God is. And we're supposed to grow in that understanding of how much he loves us. You can't ex- exhaust the subject. I'm telling you that in the next 20 to 30 years, all these little, which I believe in the unseen. I believe in the prophetic. I believe in, in being prophetic. I mean, we, it, it should be who we are. But listen, don't let prophetic or that label be thus says the Lord, let it be God's heart for people. Like, let it be like, define it differently. I believe that the church is going to redefine what revelation is. Revelation is not trying to put what you think the text is saying and reading something in the Bible and then coming up with some new secret that nobody knew before a hundred years ago or whatever. It's going to be a greater revelation of the love of the father. And that is what transforms you, and that's what will transform the church to become more glorious, which is what the world is waiting for. Let me just read Romans 8, a few verses, and we're going to close. I hope you guys are getting something out of this this morning. I feel like I am. I feel like I'm preaching myself right now. Romans chapter 8. Let me just read a few verses to you, okay? Romans chapter 8 is a great chapter. By the way, read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 all together. When you study the word, you got to read it together in thoughts. What was, and it's not always chapters either. It's thoughts. You got to read like, you know, what, what is Paul saying here? You know, the way he writes to Timothy and you have to read the scripture that way. Romans chapter seven, by the way, is where we get that verse, that, that famous saying that what I want to do, I do not practice. And that what I will to do, I can't do. By the way, that verse does not apply to you if you're a Christian. Hello? Well, I'm just warring against my sinful nature. Well, if you just realize your sinful nature died with Christ 2,000 years ago, and when you believe that, you'll stop warring against your nature that died. Paul was actually giving an understanding of what it's like to live under the law in Romans 7, not what it is for a New Testament Christian. That's why he says, therefore, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is there for a reason. And he says, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But then you see in New King James, there's a little condition on that. Those who walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. That is not in the original Greek. There's no condition on there being no condemnation. 
There's no condemnation. There might be consequences to your actions, but God doesn't condemn you. He loves you. How ridiculous it is for some Christians, Lord have mercy, to stand on the street corner and try to condemn sinners. If we get God's heart for people, they will. The harvest is so plentiful. There's nothing wrong with the harvest. Hello? Let's pray for the harvest. No, pray for the church to become more glorious with God's love. And when that happens, the harvest, there won't be rooms in the buildings that we're gathering, nor the homes that we're having Bible studies in for the harvest. How dare we try to condemn the world? The message of the cross is not condemnation, it's reconciliation. It's not, you're going to burn, it's you're forgiven. Now, if people don't agree with that, they don't believe it by faith, it's, it's grace through faith, amen? Then, God forbid, some people are going to spend time without God. I, I, listen, I hope everyone gets saved. I don't think that's what's going to happen. But let's just start seeing things a little bit better than they actually are. Hello? Like, let's start seeing, you know what? The nothing is impossible with God. If God can take a prophet named Jonah and go to a city named Nineveh, that, listen, the prophet didn't want to go to that city. The prophet didn't like that city. In Jonah chapter 3, it calls it a great city. And historically, some scholars say Jonah didn't write it because it wasn't a great city. Why was it written that way? Because God saw it as a great city. Nineveh is like Vegas, sin city. No, God sees it differently. He loves the city. He has a plan for the city. He wants the city to turn to him. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation. No condemnation. Are you walking in a habitual lifestyle of sin? There's no condemnation. Let that reality awaken you to start making better choices and walking in your new identity. Grace is empowerment, by the way. It's not unmerited favor. Unmerited favor is just, just a part of grace. But the real meaning of grace, charis, it's where we get the word charisma for gift. It's a divine enablement. It's supernatural power and love from God that enables you to walk in freedom. So Romans 8, Paul's saying this is what a Christian should live like. Free, blessed, led by the Spirit. Now I want to read a few verses to you. 12 through, uh, I'm going to read 12 through 18 and then I'm going to dismiss you for the day. And the Super Bowl isn't today, so don't rush me. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Take note that in Galatians 5, Paul puts it a little differently. And he says that people that are in Christ have already crucified the flesh. How dare we think we can do what Jesus already did 2,000 years ago? I just need to crucify my flesh. No, it, uh, Jesus did that. He took care of that. Circumcision of the flesh. Amen? Okay? He doesn't want you to die. He wants you to live. He wants to make you alive. So he says here in verse 14, Many that are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. Say, sons of God. I'm not talking about just males. I'm talking about children, but sons, sonship. It's a different word in the Greek than when we read children of God. In the Greek, it's Weos, and it means a mature son. It's the same word we read in Luke chapter 3, um, where Jesus is baptized and the Father speaks from heaven. He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
Now let's go to the next couple verses here. 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Say children of God. That word is technon in the Greek and it means a child. Now there's a difference between a child and a son. Let me explain to you. I have two sons. I have three girls and two boys and a lot of adopted children. Intercessors pray for me. Glory to God. I have two sons and they're different. One is younger than the other. One is David and he's older. He's 12, right? Is he 12? I have so many kids. I've, I lose track. Don't ask me their birthdays. please. I'm a good dad. I love my children. I just got a lot of them. Okay, leave me alone. Josiah 6, right? Okay. And his birthday is, uh, okay, anyways, one is more mature in my love. One is more of a child. One is more of a son. See, Josiah won't sit still very long. He's wild, man. He doesn't listen as much either. He's a little disobedient. Josiah, put your shirt on. We're leaving. I want to go get this Lego. (laughs) Just he's somewhere else. Like when we eat, you know, we'll be eating. You know when you feed like a toddler and they know how to walk now? Which my daughter, my youngest daughter is about ready to walk. Um, They just go everywhere when that happens, right? But toddlers, they'll take a bite of food and then they'll walk away. And they're just like, (laughs) just eating, right? Pizza or something. That's Josiah. He's the little mac and cheese kid. He comes up, takes a bite of mac and cheese, mac and cheese, mac and cheese, mac and cheese, and then comes up and he wants another bite. He's just wild. They won't sit at the table. They won't, they're just wild. They got a lot of energy, right? Now, in some ways we need to be childlike, but not childish. Paul talks about maturing and putting away childish things. So my son, he's a child. He doesn't sit still. I want him to sit in my arms. I just want to squeeze him. He's so cute. I just love that little handsome boy. And, and he wants to move right away. I'm like, no, you're stuck in my love. Sit still. I want to love you. See, children have a hard time letting God love them. And Josiah doesn't listen as much. You know, Rochelle is trying to get him ready for school. And she'll tell him like seven times, Josiah, put your shirt on. Josiah, put your shirt on. And then I'll step in, Josiah, put your shirt on now. And he's, okay, daddy, I'll put my shirt on. Now, David's a little different. David is more mature in my love. He's crazy too, but he's more mature in my love. He's the most creative little guy. He's hilarious. But he knows my heart a little bit more. He'll sit still in God's presence a little longer. He'll let me love on him. He values my love a little bit more too. He has a greater revelation of it. He's more of a son. Josiah's more of a child. But as Josiah grows, he matures. See, sometimes we don't realize this maturity, this when you're born again, it's a seed. It grows. The nature of God in us, this new identity. We grow. New things have come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. All things have become new. It's not a good translation. New things have come. Uh, 1 Peter 1.23. You're born again by the incorruptible seed of the word of God that lives and abides forever. God's seed comes in us, but it grows. We understand he loves me. But guess what? His love is like an ocean and he wants you to explore. And when you realize how amazing his love is, you take on his heart and it changes not only your heart, but everything that you do. He wants us to become sons. Now, let me read these last few verses to you. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Technon, children, babies, children. 
Not sons, not mature sons, children. There's a difference. Listen to what he says. He doesn't stop. Paul says, if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In other words, you mature. If you understand you're a child, then you begin to grow and know your inheritance and know that you are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are seated in heavenly places with him. Which, by the way, right before that, he talks about the love that he loved us with. In the Greek language, it's like God's so full of love that he has to create somebody to pour his love on. That's you. Why was I created? Because God's just so loving, he had to make you so he could pour his love on somebody. Isn't that amazing? That's so, I just love that. Behold, 1 John 3, 1. Behold what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. That's that word. Technon, children of God. I'm, I'm a child. But here's what he says. If children, then heirs. If heirs, join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. Listen, God's not insecure. He wants you, he wants to share his glory with you. Well, doesn't the Bible say, I will not share my glory with nobody? Yes, in Isaiah, and he's talking about idols. Are you an idol or are you a son? Now, if someone worships you, he ain't going to share his glory with you. If you want to be worshipped, different story. But God's not insecure. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would share his glory with the Father. Come on. When you're glorious, he gets glory. He wants to bless you. He wants you to move up and forward. He wants to prosper you. Hello? Let me continue. I'm going to let you go. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let me tell you what the glory of God is. Are you ready? Moses said, show me your glory. Let me tell you what the glory is. The glory of God is a revelation of his love. Jesus came... John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth to reveal the heart of the father, the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory of God is a revelation of his love. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. Wheels of God, mature sons. The world is tired of seeing children and the world is looking for some sons that actually sing the song of love over them, that actually have God's heart. The world is tired of seeing solo artists, one-man shows. Come on. The world is tired of all that. The world's waiting for a symphony of a body of Christ to emanate who God is, a loving father, not a control freak. That's for any Calvinist in here. The revealing of the sons of God. Are you ready to mature in God's love? Are you ready to, to rise up and say, God, I want to know your love more. So when I sing how he loves us, I'm not just singing it from this reiteration of knowing the song in my mind, but from my heart, I'm saying, oh, you love us, God. How, whoa, how he loves us. It's not, oh, it's whoa, how you love us, God. Paul prays for the church in closing, Ephesians 
chapter 1 and then chapter 3, Paul prays. He says, I want your eyes to be open. I want you to know the love of Christ, the depth, the height, the width. I want you to know the love of Christ, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. When you read your Bible, don't look for some secret revelation. It all should point to a loving father. When you read some Old Testament verse, it's a shadow pointing to the substance, the reality. The reality is Jesus. Colossians 3 says this. The Old Testament was a shadow. Jesus is the substance. Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. It's simple. And there's, it's not mystery concealed. It's mystery revealed. And it's revealing. God is revealing his love to humanity. Hello? And you and I get to share it with all these people that have no idea. They've tasted religion bad. They've tasted all the junk. We have misrepresented. Let's represent Christ. Let's represent him. We are ambassadors of heaven to release the glory of God, the glory of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. What is that? The Father's love. Which, by the way, the kingdom reign is not kingdom control. It's love. Isaiah chapter 16, verse 5. A new government of love will be established in the venerable Davidic tradition. It's a messianic prophecy. You want to advance the kingdom? Just love. Love with God's love. Are you ready to become more glorious? Let's go. Let's move to sonship. Amen. God's raising up an army of sons. Son lovers of God and lovers of people. Ministry is about people. Not about position, power, or platform. It's about people. David was entrusted as king because he loved sheep. He loved people. He had a heart after God. Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Let me bless you and we'll dismiss you. Thank you, Father. So we just invite your love right now. Come. Let that ocean of your love just come a tidal wave wow so many people complicate their Christianity fathers are saying I just want I want to I want to love on you I want you to know how much I love you I want you to discover more of my love if you're in this place just open your heart his love breaks chains of depression his love conquers His love drives out all that stuff. His love is what changes us. Knowing I'm accepted. I've already been accepted. I've already been adopted in Him. I've already been included. The heart is inclusive. Anything exclusive is usually opposed to the heart of God, by the way. His heart is so inclusive. You invite everybody to your table, Lord. That's why I love inviting people over. My wife's like, we cannot have 100 people in our home. I want to invite everybody. I want God's heart for people. I want to invite the person that doesn't get invited. That's Jesus' heart. Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. Give us your heart, Lord. We know it's your nature's beating us, but we want to take on more of your heart for people. We love you, Father. We bless you. We receive your love. I pray blessing on these people, these Christians, these Christ bearers, Lord, these Christ followers. I pray right now blessing, an increase of the understanding 
they have for the love of God. Let their eyes be open, God. We thank you that on this journey we're discovering more and more and more the vastness of your love. It's like the ocean. It's like the ocean. The psalmist said your love is like the ocean. Lord, it's like a sea. It's so deep. We thank you, God. We bless you. In Jesus' mighty name. Keep your eyes closed really quick. I want to ask you, maybe you feel like you're not sure if you've ever become a child of God. Like you don't know what that means. And you want to just, maybe you want to recommit your life to Jesus or you just want to surrender and say, you're Lord Jesus. I want to surrender to your love. I want to surrender to your kingdom. I want you to just quickly, if that's you and you just want to pray with me, you don't, nobody looking around, every eye closed, just raise up your hand and say, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm a believer. I want to make sure that I know Jesus is Lord of my life. Slip up your hand. There's hands going up. There's more people. Just slip up your hand. Say, I want to know Jesus. I want to surrender to his love. Thank you, God. Anyone else? Raise your hand up. Say, I want to recommit my life. I want to surrender. I want to surrender. Just slip up your hand. Say, I want to surrender. Okay, you can put your hand down. I'm going to quickly just pray. I want you to pray with me. But don't just repeat the words. Like, let it come from your heart. Say, Jesus, your Lord. I open my heart to you. I love you. Thank you for forgiving me. Can everyone pray this with me? Say, thank you for forgiving me. Washing me clean. Accepting me. Thank you for giving me a new heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, would you just give God praise right now? Come on. 